You know, sometimes you can stare at something your whole life and not see what's really happening. Sometimes we just need a different perspective. Uh, for instance, in, in just a second, I'm going to show you uh, a bunch of popular uh, corporate logos. Now, before I do that, I need to apologize to you because what I'm about to show you, you will not be able to unsee the rest of your life. And so, <laughs> please accept my apology. Okay, let's do this. All right, here we go. First logo, FedEx. How many of you, I want you to actually raise your hand, even if you're not a hand raiser, how many of you knew that there is an arrow in the FedEx logo? Raise your hand. Okay, about maybe 35% of you, I'm going to blow your mind right now. Check this out. Right here, do you see the white arrow? <laughs> Somebody showed that to me like two years ago, and I thought, no way. <laughs> it's there. It's amazing. Okay, next. Uh, this is the Tour de... F Tour de France, I'm just kidding, Tour de France uh, logo, do you notice the cyclist? Have you seen this before? So there's the front tire right there, back tire, see the cyclist, his head, I know, pretty cool. Okay, next one, uh, this one I didn't know uh, until I saw this, uh, I feel really embarrassed. Now, Tostitos, have you seen this? The t look at the T's, it's two buddies having a yellow chip together dipping it in salsa. <laughs> Uh, I'm sure you saw, I never saw that, and it just makes me want to eat chips. Okay, and then the last one is my favorite. Uh, this is the Wendy's logo. Do you see what is hidden in the Wendy's logo? Anybody know? Look at her collar. It spells M-O-M, -M, Mom. <laughs> what? <laughs> I have no idea what the point of that is. It's probably some sort of subliminal messaging that's making you go to Wendy's, but I'm not falling for it. You will see me at Culver's. <laughs> okay. All right. Sometimes you can stare at something your whole life and not see what's really there because your, your eyes aren't looking at the right thing. And today, as we get into kind of a tough subject of what do we do when the hard times come, what, what I want to show you is that we're going to talk about how to look at your suffering differently. And how, even in the midst of hard times, you can actually see things that you've never seen before. Now, before we go any further into that topic, let me just preface that when we talk about hard times or we talk about suffering, they're all different types of suffering. Like, you, you might be experiencing physical suffering. Maybe you just have tough medical issues going on right now. Uh, you could be experiencing a mental health challenges or emotional pain. Um, suffering can come from persecution. It can come from uh, rejection. Um, sometimes suffering just comes from tragedy. You know, a family member dies in a car accident. It can come from loss. Suffering sometimes is our own fault, right? <laughs> like we, we made bad choices that got us into this mess. Sometimes suffering can be the result of somebody else's sin. There are so many different reasons behind the hard times that we face. And I want to tell you that the Bible talks often about suffering. I really appreciate this about the Bible. It doesn't sugarcoat suffering. You know, I was thinking, it talks so often about suffering in verses, in passages, in psalms, in the stories of the Bible. I think if I, okay, let's say I set out to say, we're going to do a teaching series, and I'm going to talk about every time suffering is mentioned in a verse or a story. I, I'm just throwing out a number here, but I think it would take us like 200 weeks 
to get through that series. It'd be longer than the book of Luke. How <laughs> serious are we doing, right? Because it, the Bible talks about it so, so often, and there's a lot of wisdom in there. So how do we kind of narrow this down today without being here until 11 p.m.? How do we do that? Well, so kind of what my aim is today is I want to approach this topic from a high level and try and answer the specific question of where should we look when the hard times come? I think for a lot of people, we primarily just look in one direction when suffering comes into our lives. We look inward. And we begin to tune other people out. Often we begin to fall into the trap of self-pity. We say, no one would understand what I'm struggling through right now. No one knows how this feels. Sometimes we even dare to say, God, how could you do this to me? How could you let this happen in my life? But here's the beauty of God's word. God's word, if you read it, is going to allow you to look at your difficulties, your hard times differently. It's sort of like staring at a logo that you've seen maybe for years and years, and the word of God is going to point your eyes to just something that you haven't seen before. That's what it can do. And it's going to point you off of yourself, right? Because God, we, we read this just the other week, a God is opposed to our pride, and so he's actually going to call us, even in our suffering, to look outside of ourselves into a different direction. And he'll show us how we can survive, how we can endure times of suffering. Now, I want you to notice something that I just said. I didn't say the Bible's going to teach us how to avoid suffering. I didn't say that the Bible's going to teach us how to end suffering. It's how to survive how to endure. There's a lot in the scriptures written on endurance. And when we labeled this series, we didn't call it if life is hard. It's when life is hard. When life is hard, we need to know how do I endure when we just suffered a miscarriage? How do I endure a spousal betrayal? How do you endure times of unemployment? You know, you're not, you're not going to be able to open the Bible and see something that says, here's four easy steps on how to avoid all suffering. Because the Bible is realistic. It knows that life is hard. You know, I was even a bit reticent this morning to share with you direct practical application because I just don't want anyone leaving this room today thinking, oh, it's going to be easy. It just isn't. It just isn't. I don't know how to say it to you differently. We suffer in suffering. It's hard. But God can carry you through it. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to show you how the scriptures teach us to look in different places when the hard times come. And I'm going to show you a four places in particular. Uh, here's the first one. Number one, when the hard times come, one of the things that the Word of God wants us to do is to look to the side. Not just inward, to look to the side, specifically to other people. We aren't called to suffer alone. Uh, you think of Job in the Old Testament, who probably has the worst day of anyone in the history of, of bad days. Uh, in just one day, he loses all of his livestock, all of his servants are killed, and 
all of his children die in one day. And we're told that his friends come to be with him, and for just seven, for seven days, think about this, for seven days it says they just sit with him. They don't even say anything. They're just with him. In fact, you read the book of Job's, Job, things start going wrong when they start talking. <laughs> they just sit with him for seven days. We're not supposed to suffer alone. Um, this is how, in the New Testament, we're commanded to watch out for each other. Uh, Paul says this, Galatians chapter 6. He tells us, as Christians, carry each other's burdens. Carry each other's burdens. In this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. We aren't to suffer alone. And yet, many, many Americans do. I just saw a stat the other day. It said, in 1980, 20% of Americans felt lonely. Today, 39 years later, that stat has doubled. 40%, what is that, two out of five? 40% of Americans feel lonely. Burdens come, just sheltering them by ourselves, shouldering them by ourselves. I was telling um, some of our staff in the office this week that it always seems to me that whenever we hit the summer in our church, it feels like the amount of pastoral care and counsel that our elders are giving goes way down. Why is that? It's not because we're all having less troubles in the summer. That's not true. You know why I think it is? It's because we don't have house groups in the summer. See, what happens is when we get in community with other Christians, and we open up the Bible together, and we pray together, and we talk about our lives together, what happens is you start to look, not not just inward in your own stuff, you start to look to the side, and you see that there are other people running this race with you. And what we do is we just go, okay, okay, all right. And we start to finally let other people carry our burdens with us when life is hard. Now, I will tell you, that is what the church of Jesus Christ is meant to look like. It Actually, it breaks my heart that the vast majority of American Christians don't have anything like that anymore. In fact, they suffer alone. Uh, 80% now of American Christians don't have any sort of Christian community around them. Think about that. What has happened to us in America? What has happened to us in the American church? 80, this means 80% of American Christians, maybe you're in this demographic, they walk into a church, they, they sit during the service, and they walk out, and they don't know anyone. Uh, you know, out of many churches, it's, it's in a sense even worse than that nowadays, and that they don't actually physically even come to the church, they just watch online. Now, what we're doing right now, this is an important aspect, it's an important facet of church. This is Bible teaching. Teaching, explaining the Word of God is incredibly important to the life of the church. But it is just a part of what being the church is. Just walking in and walking out and not knowing anyone in your life who's another Christian is not how the body of Christ is meant to function. You can't read the New Testament and come to that conclusion. I'll give you an example of this. Paul says this in Romans chapter 12, verse 15. To the Christians, he says, we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. But for some of you who are in that 80%, of Christians. You sort of walk in, walk out. You don't know anyone. 
You're living in isolated faith. I just want to tell you, that, that is not what Jesus Christ wants for you. And one of the reasons he doesn't want that for you is when the hard times come, and they will, you won't have other Christ followers to mourn with you, as Paul says, to cry with you, to counsel you, to support you, to pray with you. I know a ton of you are new, uh, maybe even from last week or in this last month or six weeks or so. One of the things that I want you to know about our church is that statistic, that 80% is actually flipped upside down. And so 80% of the people in this room do have Christian community. And they are in a house group. They have people to mourn with them and support them during the hard times. And I just want to say, if you don't have that in your life, where else are you going to get that? Like, this is what's so amazing about Jesus' church. Like, you can go out there today after church, and Garrett can sign you up in the hallway. We can get you with people side by side with you tonight if you wanted to. <laughs> right? You can sign up for our, our brand new group with Tony West on Monday nights or Tuesday. And we meet all week long. We can do that for you. We need other people to carry our burdens. I remember when I was in second grade, uh, my grandpa died. It was the first funeral that I ever went to, and it was like, uh, uh, it's so etched in my mind, I think part of it was, it was like a funeral in the movies. Um, he was in the military, so there was a gun salute. Uh, it was pouring at the burial. And one of the things that I most remember about that day is my dad, it was his father, was, you know, for the most part, holding it together through the funeral. But then there's this one part of the day where my dad looked up, and he saw three people walk through the door and it was his three best friends his three co-workers and the funeral was two hours away from where we lived and when my dad looked up and he saw them walking in the door he just lost it why because there's just something instinctive inside of us we know we aren't meant to suffer alone the relief the relief of having friends be there to carry the burdens with you is so powerful. And we want to be there with you. Honestly, if you just haven't signed up for our group yet, just sign up today. People sign up all week, all year long, every week. And for those of you, uh, maybe you couldn't come the first week. You know, something happened. Uh, you weren't able to be there. Or you're out of town. I just want to tell you, because I, I know how kind of warfare works. The devil is going to say in your ear this week, he's going to say, hey, you Hey, you weren't there the first week, so I mean, they kind of started without you. Why do you even need to be there? And I, you just need to say this week, like, nope, nope, yep, nope, I'm going I'm to be there. I'm going to be there and put myself in Christian community. All right, so the first thing we do in hard times is we look to the side. Um, there's another direction that we need to look as well. And by the way, um, if you're not in a hard time right now, maybe you're sitting here and you're like, I don't know, I don't even know if this applies to me. I will just tell you, this is the time that you take your notes. <laughs> so you're ready for when it comes. Uh, speaking of, I should say this too. Um, since we're kind of back in a house group a season, uh, this is a good time to point out that you can actually take notes uh, in the Renovation Church app when you're sitting here on a Sunday morning. And here's why I think this is actually really helpful. What's cool about that is... It will save your notes in there so that when you show up at your house group on a Tuesday night or on a Thursday night, that you can pull out your notes and you can say, oh yeah, there's something that stood out to me from 
number two or from a quote that you saw or for something the Holy Spirit just spoke to you while you're listening. It's all right there. You don't have to carry your notes from your bulletin <laughs> along with you. It's just kind of a cool future. So all you need to do is you just open the app right on the messages tab where it starts. Uh, you'll find today's message and there's just a little button that says take a note. So it's a, it's a, a really neat feature. I think, I think you have to log in and put your email in the first time so it can save it, but otherwise it's, it's really fast. All right, so here's, here's the second direction we need to look when the hard times come. So we look to the side, and then secondly, we look up. We look up to God, and we start talking, dialoguing with God as the hard times come. Uh, this is easier said than done. When life gets hard, when life gets really hard, right, you, you, you lose a loved one, you lose a job, life gets messy, it's actually easier to drown yourself in anger and self-pity than it is to cry out to God. It's easy to stop praying. It's easy to even stop coming to church. Self-pity will turn you against God. Self-pity may lead you to say, God, how could you do this to me? How could you allow this in my life? How could you let this happen? Now, I'll tell you, it's, it's okay to be honest with God. It's okay to share your emotions with him. I mean, that's basically what most of the Psalms are, if you read the Psalms in the Old Testament. I always tell people, it's not like God doesn't know what you're thinking anyway. Like, I'm, I'm not going to say this to God. <laughs> like, he knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're feeling. But we want to be careful not to accuse God, not to blame God. See, one of the, I think, deceptive things about self-pity when we're suffering and we're going, oh, woe is me. One of the deceptive things about self-pity is self-pity is actually just another form of pride. Right? Because when we say, how could you let this, our self-pity is saying, God, you don't know what you're doing. We're actually going to dive uh, deeper into this uh, particular question of why does God sometimes even allow suffering in our lives in the first place. We're going to dive deeper into that in the second week of this series, uh, which I want to say uh, is actually not going to be this next week. It's going to be two weeks from now on October 13th. Uh, real quickly, I just need to tell you that uh, next week, October 6th, um, we are going to celebrate a birthday at our church. It is the birthday of Renovation Church. <laughs> we are turning 10. Can you believe that? Um, so everyone pat themselves on the back. Just don't do that. <laughs> That's really prideful. Um, okay. <laughs> so we're going to have kind of a special service where we're going to look back on half of it, on just on the faithfulness of God. And then we're also going to spend some time to just look ahead. Uh, I actually really, really want you to be here in the room next week. And part of the reason for that is I'm going to update you on some really important things regarding our future building. And so I want you to be here and I want you to be with us uh, on that day. So... Two weeks from today, then, on the 13th, we're going to dive deeper into this topic of why does God sometimes allow suffering in the first place? But at minimum, let me kind of say this on the topic today. Before we ever think of accusing God of anything, we have to remember the difference between us and God, uh, specifically how God knows infinitely more than we do. Uh, this always makes me think of, you know, I remember when Lindsay and I first uh, brought each of our kids home from the hospital when they were babies. 
right? Maybe the first day or the second day you decide, oh, we better give the, better give the kid a bath, right? And you're getting ready to give this little baby a bath, and you, as much as you try and get the temperature right, and some of you as like first-time parents, you're like, you're putting a thermometer in the water, like, I gotta make sure it's just right, right? Some time you have like your fourth kid, you just drop the kid in the bathtub, right? <laughs> ah, they'll be fine, right? <laughs> so, you, so you put them in, and what does almost every baby do the first time you try and give them a bath? Ah, right? They start crying and screaming. You know what they do? You're trying to do the right thing for them. And they look back up at you like, you monster! <laughs> right, and then you, you get the shampoo out. And again, you're just trying to do the right thing. You know what you're doing. And you just like putting the shampoo on what they even have for hair. And they look at you like, why would you torture me like this? Right? See, for a baby who's four days old, in their mind, they actually cannot fathom a reason for how this could work out for good. They can't. But you can, right? Well, you know more than they do. And similarly, there's so many things that God knows that we just won't understand. This is out of heaven. You know, I also think that sometimes... In the suburbs, we forget that life is not, especially, especially if you're younger, this is just easy to forget, forget that life isn't always just up and to the right. I, I was reading an article, oh, it's probably three or four years ago, and it's always stuck with me. It was a guy who had lived in the city his whole life, and he was chatting with his father-in-law, who had been a farmer his whole life, and they were kind of talking about the differences between city life and farm life. And... The farmer says to the city slicker, right, which was uh, also a, a below-average movie um, from a long time ago, um, he, the farmer says to the, to the city guy, he says, you know, the thing about people who live in the city is they just naturally expect that every year is going to be better than the last. They just expect, I'm going to get my annual raise, 2 to 3%, I'm going to keep growing in my career. Every year is just supposed to get a little bit better, and that's how life works. He said, but if you farm, you know that's not how life works. He said, as a farmer, I have good years and I have bad years. And it just all depends. Does it rain at the right time? Does it rain too much? Does it rain too little? Is it dry for the harvest? Or did any damaging storms come through? He just looked at his son-in-law and he said, listen, it's just life. Some years are good, some are hard. And the author of the article, he just notes, that's the law of the harvest. That's the law of life. Some years are good, some not so much. And if we want to grow in our trust of God, you want to grow in spiritual maturity, that means that you have to be able to gratefully accept the seasons of more from Jesus and the seasons of less. Seasons of growing and the seasons of pruning. Like if, if you're going to call God Lord when it's sunny, life is going up and to the right, it's going so great for you, you're looking at him and saying, God, you're my Lord, oh, you're so good. Then you also have to call him Lord when it's raining. And so when the hard times come, one of the best places you can look is up. Keep talking to God. I know that it's hard. Keep talking to him. 
trusting in his plan, trusting that he loves you. And really, I think these, these, these final two places to look will help you in understanding, even in suffering, that he does love you because it, you can doubt that in suffering. So here's the, here's the third place to look. So you look to the side, other people, you look up, you keep talking to God, and then you look ahead to the future. See, one of the things about suffering is that suffering always keeps you locked in the present, in your present moment of suffering. You're looking inward going, this is so difficult to live in, I don't even know how, how I'm going to get through the rest of the day. But the scriptures tell us over and over again as believers that we are to keep our eyes on the prize. You keep your eyes on where you're going. Where are you going? As believers, one day you're going to walk on a new heaven and a new earth with Jesus Christ and see him face to face. And therefore we are called often to look ahead to that day. Paul says it this way, 2 Corinthians, I love this verse, chapter 4, verse 17. He says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what are on what is unseen. Since what is seen, everything in your life, everything on earth is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So Paul says, for our light and momentary troubles. Now, I want you to understand that he's not making light of anything that you've gone through. All he's saying is that our sufferings, in comparison to the good things that you will experience in heaven, are almost nothing. One of the things you need to remember about Paul, contextually, is Paul, he's saying our light and momentary sufferings. Paul is a man that suffered greatly. He was stoned. You ever had rocks thrown at you? Literally. He was stoned. He was beaten. He was whipped. He was shipwrecked three times, left out at sea one time. He was put in prison multiple times. What is he saying? He's saying through all of our suffering, even suffering like that, you need to fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on what is coming. Your suffering just wants to draw you in to the awfulness of today. But you move your eyes. You fix your eyes to what is ahead, what is coming. And that is part of how you endure. This is a principle that we use just generally in life a lot, right? If someone's running a marathon, how in the world do they keep going? They're, they're, They're putting their eyes on the finish line, at the medal around their neck. Uh, let me give you number, another example of this. Uh, when you're in labor and you're giving birth, I've heard that it's moderately hard work, right? So <laughs> when, when you're in labor, how, how do you survive the pain of that, ladies? Right? You know because in 20 minutes from now, or sometimes 20 hours from now, right, you know it is going to be worth it. You can endure because soon enough, you'll be holding that child in your arms. You, you're enduring suffering by the technique of fixing your eyes ahead, not just in the moment. All right, let me give you another example. The other night, uh, Lindsay and I came home from our house group, and our, our uh, kids were in bed, and the babysitter was uh, at our kitchen table, and she, she's in college. She was working on her homework. And I saw her working on homework, and I thought of homework, and I just 
I just shivered. And then I thanked God from the deepest parts of my soul that I have to endure no such thing anymore in my life. For those of you that are in it, someday it will end. And it is glorious. <laughs> and it just got me, I started thinking like, oh, that's right, yep, no, nope. I remember the awful late nights of studying and the cramming for tests and staying up till 4 a.m. trying to finish a paper. And you know, those were the difficult times of college. But I just want to tell you, for those of you that are in it right now, when I look back and I think about college, that's not, that's not what I think about. I think about my friends. I think about all the funny stories that happen. I think about it's over, and I'm in this different phase of my life because of what I endured, and that's good. And I want to tell you that someday when this life is over and you are with God face to face, the difficult times are over, you will look back with a perspective that you just simply can't have when you're in it. And so one of the Christian disciplines, when suffering comes, when the hard times come, is you're trying all the time, eyes off yourself, eyes ahead, ahead to what will come. And my friends, it will come. It will come. Remember the words of, towards the end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, chapter 21. It says this, that he, God, this is when it's all over someday, he will wipe Every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. So think of what the scriptures are telling us. Off of yourself, onto the people who can come with you, up to your God who you're talking to, ahead to the, this is probably ahead for you, ahead to the future, right, of what is coming. But then he also tells you, fourthly, finally, and I think this is maybe even the most important, that you not only look ahead, that you are, number four, you are to look back to the past, to the cross of Jesus Christ. You know, this whole concept, like the problem of suffering, that's what the philosophers call it, the problem of evil and suffering. It's a hard question for philosophers to answer. It's a hard question for many religions to answer. But I want to tell you this morning that Christianity is the only worldview that can make sense of suffering on a personal level. Now, I want you to think about this. If there is no God, if this is all made up and God doesn't exist, I will tell you that life is meaningless. If there is no God, then you are just a clump of cells drifting through history. There is no point to your life, and there is certainly no point to your suffering. You can't explain suffering without God. Uh, even in other religious systems, right? In Buddhism, which speaks often of suffering, but your suffering is most likely just the result of your own bad karma. Well, it's not very comforting. In Islam, uh, you can go to Allah with your suffering, but maybe not to pour out your heart, probably with a recited prayer, and Allah doesn't know what it's like to suffer, but think of Jesus. Jesus got weary. Jesus knows what it's like to have his friends die, to have his friends betray him. Jesus was tempted. Jesus was abandoned. Jesus was rejected. 
Ultimately, Jesus was even executed. Jesus Christ knows what it's like to suffer. When you suffer, he knows what it's like to suffer. One of the reasons that we look back is because it's hard to question your suffering when your eyes are on the cross. When in prayer, in your suffering, you're not just going, oh, this right now is so hard. When you're forcing yourself to look backwards to the cross. When your eyes are on the cross, it is difficult to look to God and say, how could you do this? Do you even love me? You, can, you, you almost can't say that when you're looking at the cross. You'll see that he suffered to come into your suffering, to be with you in your suffering. And I just think this completely changes how the Christian is able to look at suffering and how we can even answer the question of suffering. I mean, think, it, think, okay, think of it this way, because this, this is a hard question. It's, suffering is not just an emotional thing. It's, it's a mental thing. It's an intellectual thing. Okay, let's say that you decided you were going to volunteer at Children's Hospital. And you decide that every week uh, you're going to go down to the oncology ward and you're going to meet with children who are dying of cancer. And after you've come for a number of months, there's a nurse there and she's been noticing you coming. And let's say she pulls you aside. And she says, I've been noticing you coming every week and I hear you even talking about God. She says, I just have to ask you, how can you believe in God after seeing suffering like this? How can you believe in God after watching children die of cancer? See, as a Christ follower, you could say to her, I can believe in God because even the Son of God knows what it's like to die. He knows what even these kids are going through. You know, for society, the worst type of suffering is death, right? Society often points to that. Look, a child died, there was war. How can you believe in God? But as the Christians, but as Christians, we remember that death for us is not death, right? Death is not the end. Death is the beginning. And so I just want to challenge you from the word, just look outside of yourself if you're just feeling drawn in from your suffering. It's like those logos we looked at at the, at the very beginning. I think too many of us, we've just been staring at our difficulties, but we're not seeing what God really has for us there. So I want to encourage you, look around you, Look to those next to you who can share burdens with you. Look up to God. Look ahead to what he has for you and look back to see his love for you. Let me pray. Lord, uh, we, I, just, I just ask for anyone in this room right now who is just going through a tough time or has gone through a tough time, I ask God now as we pour our hearts out to you through worship, that you would speak to us, that we would hear your still small voice. Lord, I thank you that you love us. We thank you that you are in control. 
And God, we just want to tell you that our trust is in you. Our hope is in you, that you have this future for us, and we trust in it, we believe in it, because you've already proven your love to us on the cross. And we just want to tell you now that we trust in it, and we believe in you, because you keep your promises. In your name we pray. Amen.